Hello and welcome along to a Royal Ascot special of the Horse Racing From Home podcast. Uh, we're going to be running through the key races over the next hour or so at this year's Royal Meeting. And I won't be alone as well as I'm joined by our resident tipster here at horseracing.net, uh, Mr Chris Baker. Chris, how are you? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you, Nick. Really looking forward to the week ahead at Royal Ascot. Five days of fantastic action and we're going to run through the card together, hopefully point you in the direction of some winners. We are indeed. Now, before we get going, I'm delighted to say that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Paddy Power and all prices mentioned on this episode are from paddypower.com. So make sure you head over there for a week full of offers and enhancements for all five days of Royal Ascot. That's paddypower.com. Now, Chris, uh, the ongoing situation means that we have an enhanced programme this year for Royal Ascot, no less than 36 races to get stuck into. Um, we're not going to cruelly ask you to go through every single one, but you've picked out about 14 or 15 races that are really interesting to you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the Queen Anne normally opens the meeting. It's got the second race on the first day this year. And that's, that's where I've started. The Queen Anne Stakes is another wide open renewal this year. It proved to be very, very competitive. It is again this year. And the market is headed by Circus Maximus, who won last year's St. James Palace Stakes and is a five to two chance here. Yeah, now, you know, the, the angle I've gone in here with is that three of the last five winners of the Queen Anne and seven of the last 10 have already scored at group one level. And if you add into that, that nine of the last 10 winners have been aged four or five, it automatically points you towards Circus Maximus. So it's no surprise to see that he's favourite. As you said, he won the St. James's Palace last year, second in the Sussex, fourth in the Breeders' Cup Mile, um, won at Chester first time out in 2019. So you can see why he's a, a solid favourite with Ryan Moore booked for Aidan O'Brien. But going back to those statistics, previous Group 1 winners aged four or five, it, it also takes you to Billersden Brook for Richard Hannon. Now this is a Philly uh, mayor now who... I really like. Of course, she won the 1,000 Guineas in 2018. Mm -hmm. She then won a Group 3 enlisted level. She won the Sun Chariot, the Group 1, at the end of last season, beating the likes of Lawrence and Hermosa. And then she made a reappearance at Kempton recently. Now, Richard Hannon was very clear that day that she generally does need a run. She comes on for that first run. She, she put in a really good performance at Kempton under a £7 penalty. Um, she she travelled strong. She hit the front actually inside the final furlong and was passed late on by a, a really good improver, Nazif, who runs in the Duke of Cambridge, and, and she was landing a four timer. So I think that's a, a fantastic reappearance from Billiston Brook. Um, she she's also got a good chance on ratings, so she's rated 116. Circus Maximus is 118, but as a, as a mare, she'll be entitled to the three pound allowance. So. Uh, at the prices, I think Billiston Brook has got a, an excellent each way chance. Um, looking at, again at previous Group One winners, you've also got Mustachery in the lineup, who mm -hmm. won the Lockins last season, was seventh in this race, but finished the season off by winning a Group Two at Newmarket over seven furlongs. What's not in his favour is that he's aged seven, and I mentioned that statistic about nine of the last ten winners being aged four or five, but he is lightly raced and is in the very capable hands of Sir Michael Stout. So I think Circus Maximus, an, an obvious favourite chance. Billersden Brook is one, a filly that I, I really like. Mustachery, I think, is going to have a good chance. Um, also, you've got Terrabellum. Now, it's, it's great to see Frankie Dittori back in the Godolphin Blue. 
he won the Group 2 Darley Stakes at Newmarket on board this uh, four-year-old filly last time out. Um, she's held quite a few entries um, at the Royal Meeting, so she was also entered in the Duke of Cambridge and the Prince of Wales, but connections have opted for the Queen Anne. Mm-hmm. She cost £400,000 as a yearling. Dan was a Group 3 winner. Um, as I said, she won the Dahlia Stakes. That was a really pleasing return to action. She too should come on for the run. John Gosden afterwards said that she's, she's pretty heavy and takes some getting fit. So she'd have a, a chance as well. Um, all five of her starts have actually been over 10 furlongs. So she drops back to a mile. But again, Gosden reports that she's not short of speed. Yeah, it's an interesting point you say there, Chris, because two of the, the fillies and mares you mentioned, Terrabellum and Bilsden Brook, have both had a reappearance run coming into the race. Now, this is a situation that we're going to mention a few times in that a lot of these are coming from an absence. How much of a factor do you think it is, an, an advantage even, do you think it is going to be for these um, horses that have had the benefit of a run coming into the Royal Meeting? Well, it's really tricky, isn't it? Because I've made the case that for Billiston Brook, it will actually be a big advantage to, to have had that reappearance. Mm-hmm. But there's going to be other horses that we talk about, like Stradivarius, who has had that run, for whom it might be uh, too quick a turnaround. So it, it's going to be very much based on a horse by horse basis. Um, and then, you've got, you've, of course, you've got some horses that do go well fit. You know, we mentioned Circus Maximus won at Chester first time out last season. So it, it's really. Uh, you know, it's quite. It's going to be very tricky for punters working out whether that reappearance is actually an advantage or the fact that it's such a short turnaround, whether it's actually a disadvantage. So 14 to 1 at the moment, Billsden Brook in the Queen Anne. And the next race we're going to talk about on the Tuesday is the Ribblesdale. And uh, generally this tends to feature fillies who ran well or prominently in the Oaks. But this time around, it could be a potential trial, Chris. And uh, it's a fill with a few nice fillies in. Absolutely. Now, last year, Star Catcher won this race mm-hmm. um, and went on to win three Group 1s afterwards. So she won the Irish Oaks, the Priva May and the Phillies and Mares on, on Champions Day. And of course, she was trained by John Gosden, ridden by Frankie Dettori. And that they team up with the likely favourite here with Frankly Darling, um, a daughter of Frankel, out of a listed winner. And she was really, really impressive on her reappearance at Newcastle. So you can see why she's such a short price for this race. Um, I think that performance can be upgraded because she was three wide for pretty much the whole journey. She was pretty green, um, but she did pull five lengths clear when asked over 10 furlongs. There were plenty of improvement to come. She looks to have that really good blend of both pace and stamina. I've also already mentioned the top connections that, that she'll be running for. So no surprise to see, frankly, Darling at the head of the market. Um, in opposition, you've got Miss Yoda. Now, Miss Yoda won the Lingfield Oaks trial. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I, I've upgraded that performance. The first time I watched it, I wasn't particularly impressed. But I've watched it three or four times since. And each time I watch it, I, I just think it, it's, it's a little bit more impressive each time. She missed the break completely um, and, and inside the final couple of furlongs looked to have no chance, but she stayed on really, really well. She was a 280,000 euro yearling. Um, the, the dam was first past the post in the German group too. She too represents John Gosden with um, Rab Havlin on, on board. And those two I've mentioned, Frankly Darling and Miss Yoda, they're both quite prominent in the market for the Oaks, for which, like you said, this, this is probably going to be one of the key trials. Mm. So, so Frankly Darling, obvious chance. Miss Yoda, I think that, that performance at Lingfield 
was pretty good. Now also behind the, uh, that day, you had Golden Lips, who was second. Um, again, I've upgraded that performance because she led for a long way. She was headed and then fought back. So she's shown a really, really good attitude. Um, and then you've got the interesting filly from the William Haggis Yard, born with pride. Now, mm. she's clearly held in some regard because she made her race course debut at listed level and she won that day. Um, it was disappointing to see her finish seventh on a seasonal reappearance, but she was easy, easy to back, slow away, and, and therefore it, it, every chance that she needed that, that run. That was 13 days prior to what the Ribblesdale will be. Um, the step up in trip will really suit her and uh, I think she'll go well as well. So my shortlist, it's pretty obvious, but it, it's frankly darling, Miss Yoda and Born With Pride. And uh, as of this current point, I'm not exactly sure where my money's going to be going, if, if it'll be going down at all. Um, I think you can make a strong case for all of them. I think frankly darling could end up being too short on the actual day. So possibly I'll, I'll be siding with, with Miss Yoda or, or Born With Pride. Yeah, interesting you say as well, Bournemouth Pride form that was boosted yesterday um, at the time of recording because she beat a, a peaceful, of course, at Newmarket. She went on to win the Irish Guineas. Um, yeah, it's a real, real big boost for that form. And I think with, with favourites, although favourites have only won three of the last 10 renewals of the Ribblesdale, they have finished in the first two on eight occasions. So it is, it is a race to be going with one of the market leaders if you can have a bet. Now, uh, we've also got the King Edward on the Tuesday as well. Much like the Ribblesdale, this is probably going to be a key pointer for Epsom. And uh, we have a, a short price favourite here in Mogul, who was fourth in the Futurity Stakes last winter. And that form is now looking really, really strong, Chris. It is. Now, the, the thing with Mogul is that he's a full brother to Japan. And Japan won this race last year after finishing third in the derby. Of course, it's the other way around this, this year. King Edward is often for horses that maybe haven't quite done it in the derby. This year, this is going to be a key trial. Um, so Japan won this race last year. Full brother, Mogul, cost 3.4 million guineas as a yearling. Um, very short in the betting for the derby, so a single-figure price um, behind the likes of Kamako and English King and Military March, who, who all feature heavily in the betting for the derby. Mm -hmm. um, plenty of stamina in his pedigree. He's obviously a, a colt by Galileo. He's out of a, a mare that won over a mile and four and mile and five. So plenty of stamina. Um, was a group two winning two-year-old over a mile. So the step up to a mile and four should be absolutely no problem for Mogul. Um, of course, the, the mount of Ryan Moore for Aidan O'Brien, likely to be odds on. So in terms of a betting proposition for me, he, he won't be one. Um, but it'd be fascinating to see how he goes. And again, like we said for the previous race, if Mogul hacks up in this race, he's going he's to be pretty short in the betting for the derby. So, um, as I say, likely to be odds on. For those that don't like playing at such a short price, the obvious um, pick in opposition is Mohican Heights, who's unbeaten in two starts, mm -hmm. won an Irish maiden over seven furlongs, and then was stepped straight up to listed level for, for his second start um, at Salisbury. Pulled two lengths clear at the line that day, so he's clearly an exciting prospect as he beat a subsequent Group 3 winner. He's, re yeah, he's related to, to plenty of winners himself. I think those looking to oppose Mogul, I'd, I'd point, be pointing them in the direction of, of Mohican Heights. 
Now, we've mentioned that the schedule for Royal Ascot this year is a bit hiddledy-piddledy, but one race which is staying in its traditional position is the King's Stand, uh, one of the, my favourite races at the meeting, Group 1 over five furlongs. And one horse dominates the betting here, Chris. Uh, Batash, he's six to four on. He's finished second in each of the last two renewals. And the horse that defeated him on both occasions, Blue Point, is now retired. So the question is, is it his to lose? Right, Batash. So... I started with a list of pros and cons for Batash and I'm constantly going going through this in my head. So like I say, he's, he's, a, he's a dual group one winner, he's a multiple group two winner, he's incredibly fast. Um, he goes well really, really fresh, he's won on his seasonal reappearance in each of the last three seasons. He was incredibly impressive in the Nunthorpe, he broke the course record at York. Charlie Hills has, has stated that he's as good as ever. I think the fact that the Royal Meeting this year is taking place behind closed doors will be uh, an advantage for him. And he's one of the best backed horses of the week. So there is there's so many things in Batasha's favour. Uh, I think the other thing to mention here is that the deflection of Skeptical to the, uh, the Jubilee on Saturday is another positive. Um, but I think every time you mention Batash, um, there is there's going to be a but. And I think the first book to mention is that the favourites have, have got a really poor record in this race. So um, it's zero from 10. In the, in the last 10 years, we haven't had a, a winning favourite. Um, Batash, he can get worked up pre-race. He's got his quirks, he sweats up. Um, there's also this niggling doubt about Ascot. I know that he's finished second in this race in each of the last two years, but ultimately hasn't won. He's zero from three at the track. And his best form... Is, is on the downhill track at Goodwood and flat track at, at Haydock and, and obviously the, the York win as well. So I think it would be absolutely no surprise to see Batash put up a, a, a fantastic performance and win this. I just think he's, um, he's, he's beatable mm-hmm. and, and he's shown that he, he is beatable and it might be worth taking him on with some at a bigger price. And the, the two that, that I'm looking at are, are both uh, fillies. So we've got Glass Slippers, who has won the last three towards the end of the season, including a, quite a comprehensive win in the Abbey. Of course, Batash was well beaten that day, so she's, she's shown that she can already beat him. Um, it will be her first run at Ascot, but she was a rapid improver throughout 2019, winning at listed level, group three level, and, and as I said, in the Abbey as well. Now she stays five furlongs, uh, so she stays really well. So the five furlongs at Ascot mm-hmm. should be absolutely ideal for her, where, whereas Batash might be weakening at the end. She certainly won't be. Um, but the one that I'm, I'm probably going to be signing with here is Liberty Beach, another filly. Now, Glass Slippers and Liberty Beach will both get um, weight from Batash. She had an outstanding three-year-old campaign. She won four of her six starts, including the Malcombe at Goodwood. She was fourth in the Queen Mary over this course and distance, actually finished first in her group that day. She was second in the Lowther. And she, we, we, we've mentioned about having a run. She had a run. She had a run at Haydock. Um, it was a listed race last week. It was over six furlongs and she won. And she won quite impressively. And after that, the trainer, John Quinn, stated that actually five furlongs is probably her optimum. So it's no surprise to see her drop back to the minimum trip 
to take part in the King's Stand. And I think Liberty Beach could go incredibly well. If Batash is on form, he's going to take some stopping. If there's any quirks on Tuesday at all, I think Liberty Beach can take advantage. 10 to 1 with Paddy Power, Liberty Beach at the time recording. Be some story if she can win for the John Quinn team, as you say. And the final race we're going to talk about on the Tuesday is the Duke of Cambridge Stakes. Um, this generally proves to be a real tricky puzzle to solve. And there's some really interesting types in here. Chris, which way are you going at the moment? William Haggis won the race last year with Move Swiftly. Um, and he's represented with Miss O'Connor. Um, Miss O'Connor is unbeaten in four previous starts. Those victories include a listed victory and a group three victory. Now, all of those wins have been on either soft or heavy. Now, after one of her victories, Oshie Murphy, who rode her that day, said that the ground isn't essential. She goes through it, but it's not essential. So I think that there are thunderstorms predicted for Ask. I think it's currently good. Um, if, you know, if there is significant rain on the first day or before the first day, I think that would enhance Miss O'Connor's chances. If the ground does dry, I don't see it as being a massive problem for her. Um, but she's obviously got an unbeaten record, so straight away she takes the eye. Now, another one in this race that I like the chance of, I've already mentioned when we we're talking about Billesden Brook, and that's Nazif. Now, Nazif beat Billesden Brook on reappearance to complete a four-timer. Now, I didn't think she'd win that day. She was on my shortlist, but the, the thing that put me off at Kempton was the wide draw. Mm-hmm. She didn't just overcome the wide draw, she overcame it and ran on really strongly. And I think Nazif is a, a real improver, a real progressive filly, um, much in the style of, of Move Swiftly, who won the race last year. So you can't discount Nazif. Another um, interesting filly to mention is Jubiloso. And I was listening to Teddy Grinthorpe uh, at the weekend, and he actually said that Jubiloso is one of the best chances of the week for the Jubilant operation. Um, it's done nothing but police connections over the winter and in the run-up to this. Um, so she'd have a chance. And I appreciate I'm mentioning most of these. It shows what a, what a wide open race it is. I think another that, that we've got to mention is Magic Lily. And I think Magic Lily will, will actually go off at quite a big price and could be the value play here. Mm-hmm. Um, she um, is back to a mile. She finished third behind Terra Bellum in the Dahlia Stakes. Um, but she's, she'd won a couple of times in Maidan, including in Group 1 Company. Now, she's lightly raced because she missed 2018. She missed 2019. But if you go back to 2017, she was a fantastic third behind Lawrence in the Group 1 Phillies Mile. She clearly retains her ability, and I think she's one that will benefit from that, that recent run, uh, representing, obviously, William Buick and Charlie Appleby. So at price, I think Magic Lily could be a, a good play. And one other I want to mention at a huge price um, is, is Agincourt, um, who was um, well behind Nazrif at, um, at Kempton, but ended last year with a listed win. She's really consistent. She finished in the first three in all seven starts last season, with two of those resulting in wins. I'm not for a minute saying that she's going to win the Duke of Cambridge, but I think she could outrun her odds and maybe snatch a place. 25 to 1 at the moment, Agincourt. Uh, it should be a really interesting renewal. We're going to move on to Wednesday now for the feature, the Prince of Wales Stakes. Brilliant Group 1 contest. There's some really, really good horses have won this in the past decade or so. And Chris, we have an odds-on favourite here in, in Japan, but 
there is a stellar supporting cast here. It could be a really good race. There is, and I'm, I'm really disappointed that Magical hasn't been declared. Um, obviously, a real star filly kept in training this year, but Aidan O'Brien reports that she's not quite ready for this reappearance. Uh, I'd have given her a big chance in this, but I say she, she's not been declared. It leaves stable mate Japan as a very short price favourite. We've already mentioned Japan earlier on. Um, third in the derby, went on to win the King Edward um, and ended the season. Um, with a fourth place in the arc, having won the Judmont International. So that really is high-class form. Um, very versatile in terms of ground. The, the one question mark I've got over Japan is the fact that I feel he could need the run. Um, he won second time out and third time out in his two previous reappearances. So you know, it could just be that, that they're... They're just stats that are there. It could mean, it could be that he generally does need a run to come on. So I think the, the key for me with this race is the weather. Because Adabe, if it rains, I think Adabe is going to take some beating, even with Japan in the lineup. Um, has relished the step up to one mile two, was second in the champion stakes, and of course, well documented visit to Australia where he won two group ones in really impressive style and coincided with the rise of Tom Marquand out in Australia. Overall, he's nine from 16 on turf, but you know, the ground is absolutely key for him. I suspect that if there isn't any rain, he won't run, he won't take his place. Um, but if the rain does come, I say there are thunderstorms predicted, then, then he will have a big chance in this race and he would be my selection in the race to oppose Japan. Um, but as I say, I'm going to have to wait until until Tuesday night, Wednesday morning for that. I think the, the other two to mention are Lord North, who's a big improver and won the Brigadier Gerard last time out. And also Barney Roy. Now he's run nine times in England. Four of those have been here. And that includes a win in the St. James's Palace Stakes. Um, he's won his last two in Maidan, including Group 1 Company. So I think Barney Roy for Godolphin should also run well. So it is a fantastic race, but it's all about the question marks. Can Japan win first time out? Is he, short, is he too short in the betting? Will there be enough rain for Adebe? And is Lord North good enough to step up to Group 1 company? Yeah, interesting you mentioned Adebe, Chris, because as you say, it was Tom Marquand's first ever Group 1 winners uh, during his career. It was also Adebe's first Group 1 wins. And... I think without asking you to delve into the Australian form book too much is I'm going to ask because it's it's sort of well documented that Australian middle distance performers aren't perhaps quite seen to the same level of quality as European horses. Did he look like a European Group 1 winner to you in the style that he won down in Australia? And would he be able to translate that over here, do you think? I, I think so, because he, he's, he's not short of form in this country. I say he was second in the champion stakes. So he is proven at group one level. Um, and that was a fantastic performance at Ascot that day. Um, key, of course, was the ground. Um, so, yeah, I think he was very impressive in Australia. I know, I know what you're saying about the difference in, in form, difference in countries, but it's not like he's coming back with no top-level form. Uh, second in the Champions Stakes was, was really good for me. 
Now, you seem to be a glutton for punishment, Chris, because you have the Royal Hunt Cup on your agenda. This is one of the most notorious betting heats of the entire week. And um, the restrictions have been changed a little bit, which means we're able to have a field of 24 runners here. So near enough normality. It is painstakingly competitive. Um, there are so many that you can make a case for. What's your shortlist looking like in there? Right, well, we've got last year's winner of the race, Afak. And this, this, oh, I'm still recovering, Nick. Um, because last year I had Cooley in this race at 20 to 1. And, um, yeah, I got done on the line by a nose. So still recovering from that. Um, Afak lines up again. This time, ridden by uh, Kieran Fallon Jr. He's only three pounds higher than for the victory in, in the race last, last year. Clearly goes well fresh. So, so he'd be the first name on my shortlist. I think the, the likely favourite of the race is Al-Rajar. Um, but a bit like the King Stand, favourites have got a poor record. Zero of the last ten uh, have won. But this looks a really progressive um, four-year-old has won his last four. Now, three of those have been on the all-weather, but they were very, very easy wins, and he's shaped as though he's, he's quite a bit better than a handicapper. My two question marks on the, the likely favourite are that he's not been seen since November, so he will have to prove um, his fitness, and also the big field. So his last four wins, he's, he's beaten a, a total of 28 horses. He's going to come up against 23 just in one race here. So I think it's definitely a race to play the favourite. I can see why he's favourite, but I, I'm certainly going to be playing against him. Um, two to mention before I come on to one that I, I really quite like, uh, Bell Rock for Oshie Murphy. Um, won on his seasonal reappearance. He's unexposed. He's only had five runs. He's won two of them. And another one that's unexposed is the Godolphins, Lord Tennyson. Now, this will be just his third start. Um, Frank Dettori, we've, we've also already mentioned, back in the Godolphin Blue for John Gosden. Um, he won easily on his all-weather debut, on his, on his actually his race course debut on the all-weather, and then came second to Maurice Diamond. Um, Maurice Diamond is, is set to line up in the Queen, um, the Queen Anne on the first day of the Group 1. Um, the fact that he's come second in a listed race on his second career start behind a potential Group 1 performer and then he's, he's now into a handicap for his third start. I think Lord Tennyson could go well. But um, I, like, I like Kezar for, for Richard Hannon, the, the mount of Ryan Moore. Um, I really like him, actually. He was, he was a four-time winner last season. Four and a half lengths at Newbury, uh, a neck at Newmarket, another neck at Haydock, and a head at Doncaster. So he doesn't tend to, to win by far. Some would argue the handicapper has caught up with him. Um, but there was, there was a, a lot to like, well, there's a lot to dislike and a lot to like about his seasonal reappearance at Newmarket over seven furlongs. So he, he raced alone. He was completely detached. He was way behind. He was, he was actually off the screen with a furlong to go. But he picked up incredibly well and he ran on really, really strongly under Ryan Moore. And he, he ended up finishing third, beaten by just three quarters of a length. That would suggest that the step back up to mile uh, would really suit him. He He's one that I think will have come on for the run. Um, and I think if you look at the, the last five runnings of the Royal Hunt Cup, four of the last five winners came into the race having already had a run. So he ticks that box. And and four of those five had finished in the, in the first four last time out. 
he also ticks that box. Another box that he ticks is the draw. He's been drawn in stall 22. Now the last three winners of this race have come from 26, 22 and 21. And if you combine that with the fact that much of the pace in this race looks likely to come from the mid to high numbers, I think Kazar could go incredibly well at a double figure price. Yeah, interesting. You mentioned uh, Lord Tennyson there. Eerily similar to one called Dreamfield, if you remember, a couple of years ago in the Wokingham. Um, was yep. backed off the boards after just the one run. Um, ultimately came second behind Bacchus. Be fascinating to see how he gets on. But um, I agree with you. I think there could well be a group horse lurking here in a handicap. Anyway, we'll turn our attention now to the Thursday and the feature race of the entire meeting, the Ascot Gold Cup. It's a Grueling test of stamina this two and a half mile trip and we have a commanding favourite in Stradivarius. He's two to one on to win this for the third year in a row, Chris. Um, his conqueror in October here, Kew Gardens, is missing. Is he a banker for you? Well, you mentioned Kew Gardens. I think that, that is a shame that Kew Gardens is missing. I think it's also a shame that the St. Ledger winner, Logician, is missing. He was unbeaten in five and I think... Had he um, lined up for this race, that would have that would have been another test for Stradivarius. But I was reading that he had a, a life-threatening illness over the winter, so hopefully he can recover from that and come back later in the season. Um, in terms of history, you've mentioned Stradivarius has, has obviously won this race the last two years. Yates won it four times. Um, Frank Dittori won this race for the first time back in 1992 and has won it seven times in total. So, it you know, it... It's a race that, that Dettori loves. It's a race that Stradivarius loves. It's hard to believe that Stradivarius is, is still only six. He seems to have been around for, for quite a long time. Um, and you can see why he's all done, obviously, uh, as a dual winner. I just I think he, he might have his vulnerabilities, though. And he only tends to do what he needs to do. Um, he was boxed in in this race last year, but luckily gotten out and, and went on to win. He was more impressive in the Goodwood Cup and then, of course, won the, the Lonsdale Cup to, to record the million-pound bonus for the second year in a row. Now, that, that run at Ascot behind Kew Gardens, it showed that he's beatable. Um, it was, he, he, didn't, he didn't lose much in defeat. It was a, it was a thrilling finish. Um, what I do think, though, is that that third in the Coronation Cup on his reappearance, I'm, I'm a bit concerned that might have taken quite a bit out of him. Um, Guy Athu won that race, won it in a record time. It was really, really impressive. Um, it would, it's only going to be 13 days after that that Stradivarius lines up in the Gold Cup. Now, he could just be much better than, than all of these. and th There aren't many new faces in, in opposition for him. He could just be much better, but there was, there was a part of that Coronation Cup that I thought he's this is going to take quite a bit out of him. And he ran onto the line. You know, if this race was a month later, you'd say it was a really good reappearance. I'm just worried that it might come a little bit too soon. And so for those people that like to get, get involved at odds on, fair enough. For those people that are looking to oppose an odds on favourite, I wouldn't put them off. I think Stradivarius is clearly top class, but there's just something in me that thinks he, he, he could be beatable. And if we look at the, the opposition, cross-counter, he's a Melbourne Cup winner and he's also um, been placed in a Melbourne Cup. He's clearly very, very talented, but I don't think he is the horse to beat Stradivarius. 
on ratings is 118 versus 122. That looks about right. That looks to be about the difference between them. One horse that, that is really interesting in opposition is Technician. Now, Technician made his, his debut at Nottingham as a two-year-old. Now, Nick, you and I have had conversations about Nottingham in the past. So I'm just going to break away from the Gold Cup to give my local course a bit of a plug. Um, it, is the, it, it does play host to some really top-class performers later in their career. So Golden Horn, the Derby winner, obviously, um, ran at Nottingham. Crystal Ocean um, ran early on at Nottingham. Blue Point won at Nottingham. King of Change, the QE2 winner, won at Nottingham. So I do, I do like Nottingham form, and Technician is one of those graduates from Nottingham. Now, he is the definition of progress, because last season he won in Novice Company, then Listed Company, then Group 3 Company, then Group 2 Company, and then Group 1 Company. Ended the season winning the Pre-Royal Oak at Longchamp. Now, he's unraced beyond the extended one mile seven furlongs, but he has been staying on strongly at the end of his races. So I think the step up in trip will be fine for him. Now, a little bit like what we said earlier, his best form is on soft and heavy. So I think his chances would be enhanced if, if the ground did ease a little bit. But I think technician for Oshin Murphy, the champion jockey, I think he's going to put it up to Stradivarius this time. And the other one I want to mention is Nayef Road. Mm-hmm. who has the advantage of a run. He was a Group 1 place last season, obviously, in the St. Ledger, having won the Gordon Stakes. He was third in the Queen Vars at this meeting, and he's clearly trained on because he won, his, he won the Cigaro Stakes at Newcastle in his seasonal reappearance in fine style. He, he looks really uncomplicated. And there's a Mark Johnston run, and I expected to see him go off in front. And he could be hard to peg back um, if, he's, if he's come on for that reappearance. Yeah, interesting you say that, Chris, because one angle I think is interesting in this race is the fact that there might be a bit of dearth of pace on. We know that Stradivarius tends to let someone lead him. Um, Cross-counter tends to make his move late in the day. Withhold was disappointing at Newcastle and the Cigaro Stakes behind Nayef Road. He is a natural front runner. Do you think he has any sort of a chance at 33-1? to I've never got withhold right. I think there's been races that, that he's gone off pretty short and, and I've, I've wondered why. Um, I'm, I'm not a particular fan of withhold. I think Nia Road is, is the, the likely pace angle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mark Johnson loves his horses to, to stride out in front. And, and I, just, I just think he, he could take some pegging back if he gets an uncontested lead. So, so withhold, I think he, he is the right price, um, a big price. Um, Stradivarius, again, like we said with Batash, it would be absolutely no shock at all to see Stradivarius win. But at the prices, and with those question marks, with the fact that the second run is coming pretty quickly after his reappearance, I, I think he's, he's opposable. And I think with Nayef Road and Technician in opposition, I think there are two there that, that are worth having a go on. Should be a really fascinating renewal. And um, we'll move on to Friday now with uh, the Group 2 Hardwick Stakes. And we've mentioned this identity of races being stepping stones to other things. The Hardwick is definitely one of those. It has produced a handful of uh, top-class ones in the last few years. Uh, Crystal Ocean won this in 2018. Defoe won this last year. He's a Group 1 winner as well. Um, 17 runners due to go to post, Chris. The market is headlined or headed by Anthony Van Dyke, last year's derby winner. Yeah, and that's absolutely fair that last year's Derby winner is the favourite for this Group 2 contest down in class. 
Um, he won the derby. I think some some would probably argue that that, that was a weak renewal, mm-hmm. and he's not really. Well, he's not gone gone on from that. He, yes, he finished second in the Irish Derby, third in the Irish Champion, third in the Breeders' Cup Turf. But there's been a couple of disappointing efforts in there. Um, however, he was back to form with a second to Gaiath in the Coronation Cup, and the way he stayed on in that race would would suggest that. This, this is good placement by Aidan O'Brien down, down to Group 2 company. So I think Van, Anthony van Dijk is, is a worthy favourite for the race. You mentioned Defoe last year's winner. as a previous winner of the race. He'd have to be on a short list. I, like, I quite like Fleeting. I think Fleeting's got some really good form in the book. Yes, she's not a prolific winner, but she'll have the allowance, the, um, the female allowance, and if you look at her form last season, she was third in the Oaks, second in the Riversdale, um, second in the Irish, Irish Oaks. She was a very close second in the Prix de l'Opera over 10 furlongs and then fourth at Ascot in the Phillies and Mares. And on four of those occasions, she was behind Starcatcher, who we mentioned earlier on. She was second on a seasonal reappearance at the Curra. Now that was in a group two over 10 furlongs, but she ran on really, really well. I think she'll relish this step back up um, to a mile and a half. She held several entries over the course of the week, but it looks like she's going to take her place in the Hardwick. If she is declared for the race, I'd give Fleeting a chance. Also, I'd give a chance to um, Elecom. Now, Elecom has been very much a talking horse over the last couple of years because, of course, he's son of Frankel and he's out of the absolutely top-class miler attraction so some would argue that he has disappointed in his career to date having having that pedigree but you, you look at what he's done he, he actually has won the group two york stakes he was second in the brigadier gerard last time out behind lord north now he just failed that day and this will be his first try at a mile and a half but the way he stayed on at haydock and the way he shaped on a couple of occasions last season I, i'd say that the step up to a mile and a half would would really suit him um, despite the fact that his both parents were were minors. Um, so I think Elecom's got a good chance. Um, Anthony Van Dyke, it's like we've said already, I, I can see him going off too short for, for me to have a bet on him. Um, I, I, like, I like Fleeting, I like Elecom for the reasons I've said. There's another in here currently, I'm not sure if she's going to be declared because Magic Wand won um, yesterday. And... Um, it's, it's where the connections want to, to come back so quickly with her. She has won and placed in multiple group ones around the world and was she only had three rivals to beat yesterday, but she did it really, really impressively. So if connections decide to, to follow up with her, then Magic One, this is a likely target at the meeting. As you say, could be a really significant form boost for Elicam as well if Lord North goes well in the Prince of Wales stakes. And uh, the feature race on the Friday is the Commonwealth Cup. It has proven to be a stellar Group 1, this, Chris. Some brilliant winners already, none more so than Muhara. Um, there's a really big field this year. 20 runners due to go to post. Uh, lots of interesting three-year-olds in here. Who's catching your eye? I think this is the, our first opportunity to mention Wesley Ward. He's had 10 winners at the Royal Meeting since 2019. And whilst the majority of those have been in the juvenile races, He's got um, a filly in the Coronation Cup who he's been quite bullish about, and that's Kamari. So Kamari was beaten ahead in the Queen Mary 
last season. So she's proven in uh, at, at the track. She was fourth in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. And uh, Wesley Ward has said that she is one of his best chances of the week. She's got plenty of speed, but she has actually won over the six furlong trip as well. Drying ground would be good for her. Um, I think Kamara, you, you've got to you've, you've got to like her chances. But on a similar form line, I, again, I, I hope she's declared. I don't know if she will be declared, but um, Millisle, who of course ran in the um, in the thousand guineas, she was really well backed that day to win at Newmarket. She went off at, at four to one. Um, but I was worried that day. She was all, it was always going to be a question mark about her going up to a mile because her five runs as a two-year-old had all been over five and six furlongs, three wins and two seconds, including a group one victory in the Cheveley Park Stakes. Now, in the Cheveley Park Stakes, she beat Raffle Prize, who won the Queen Mary. Kamari was behind um, Raffle Prize that day. So on a straight line through that form, I think Millau would have a really, really big chance back to six furlongs. Also potentially dropping back to six furlongs from um, the Guineas is Mum's Tipple for, for Richard Hannan. Finished last in the 2000 Guineas, but you can put a, a line through that, that. I think you've got to remember that 11 length victory in a valuable sales race last season. Um, and and she, uh, so he'd have a, a, a really big chance back to six furlongs. Um, Golden Horde is, a, is another really interesting runner. This, this potentially is going to be one of the races of the week if they all stand the ground um, at declaration stage. So Golden Horde was beaten just two lengths in the Coventry, won the Richmond, was third in the Group 1 pre-Mornay and was beaten just a neck in the middle park. Now, in amongst those, I mentioned the Richmond at Goodwood. Um, he beat Threat that day. Who, who has entered in the, the St. James's Palace. So Golden Horde brings solid Group 1 and Group 2 two-year-old form to the table. And the final one to mention is probably the, the likely favourite, uh, Pierre Lapin, mm -hmm. um, 140,000 guineas yearling. He's unbeaten in two. He's a half-brother to the Group 1 winner, Harry Angel. Um, and he, was the, he won the Group 2 Mill Reef uh, at Newbury now. I wasn't particularly impressed visually with that performance. And I was reading in the Racing Post this week that the, the Gallops watchers at Newmarket have said that he's, he's not a flashy worker, but he won't lack for fitness. So I think there's, there's plenty of reasons to oppose him as the likely favourite. Um, so I'm really hoping that Millau is, is declared because I think the way she won the Cheveley Park, she ran on really, really strongly, put a line completely through the Guinness run. Um, I think she'll she'll go really well. Really exciting renewal of the Commonwealth Cup, and uh, we're going to look to Saturday stuff now, Chris. And at the time of recording, it's Sunday, of course, so we're still waiting for the entries to get a bit of a clearer picture. But we can talk about the Diamond Jubilee Stakes, and the talking horse here—it's it, one heck of a story. Is skeptical the Irish Raider bought for just two thousand eight hundred pounds? Looked a group horse in the making last time out on reappearance. Three to one, Frankie de Tory booked. Is he where the, your money will be going? Um, no, no. I can I, I get the hype, but I think you, if you go back to the seventh of June, the day before um, his Nace win, mm -hmm. um, very few people had actually heard about this horse, unless you follow Irish racing um, really closely. But he was really, really impressive in that listed win at, at Nace. Um, 
as you said, a Godolphin cast-off has now won four of five career starts. Um, that was the um, the turf debut at Nice. Wide margin handicap wins. You know, you can see. It's yet it, this is going to be the third time we've said this now. It'll be no surprise to see Skeptical win, mm-hmm. but there are reasons to oppose him, in my opinion. And um, one of those will be the decision to divert to the Diamond Jubilee. The, the connections have said that it's to give um, their horse more time. It's only a couple of days more. Has something happened at home that, that's made them think he's not ready for the King Stand? Because the King Stand was the first choice target. They, they were very clear that, that that was the race they were going for. Um, I wonder if it could be to do with the uh, presence of Batash in the King Stand that they've, they've come to this race. Um, but th- there's just something something about this horse that, that makes me want to take him on. I think the, the other question is a bit like Stradivarius. How has he come out of that race? Is it going to be too soon? And I think that there is that warning sign from Connections that it could be too soon. The fact that they've abandoned their first choice target to come for the Diamond Jubilee. Um, Skeptical is likely to go off as, as favourite, but um, I'll, I'll be opposing. And there's three that I like in opposition. Again, we, we've not even got the entries yet, let alone the declarations. But in terms of, of, of the betting, I think Hello Yumzame, um really impressed me last season. Uh, a Group 2 and a Group 1 winner last season. Third in the Commonwealth Cup, so um, he's got form at the Royal Meeting. You can forget the um, performance in the, in the Champions Sprint. Um, he's like the race, he's four from eight. I think Hello Yumzane is a, is a top quality sprinter. I think the other one to mention is Space Blues. I'm going back to Nottingham, Space Blues won a Nottingham Maiden, so it's yet another boost for that course. Space Blues is another with course form. He was beaten by just a head in the Jersey Stakes at last year's Royal Meeting, having been quite fancied by connections that day. Went on to finish second to Two Darn Hot in Group 1 company, third to Advertise in Group 1 company, both of those at Deauville in France, and returned to win at Haydock on his seasonal reappearance in the listed Spring Trophy. So I think Space Blues is going to have an outstanding chance in the Diamond Jubilee. And the final horse I'd like to mention for this race is another that was entered in both the King's Stand and the Diamond Jubilee. I can see why they've gone for the Diamond Jubilee and it it was based on trip, and that's Oxted. Now, Oxted was the Portland winner at the end of last season at Doncaster as a three-year-old. Now, I don't have the stats to hand, but what I do know is that it's not common for a three-year-old to win the Portland. So the fact that that he did that as a three-year-old shows that he's clearly held in high regard. He's clearly a very talented individual. And he, he proved that with a Group 3 victory on his seasonal reappearance at Newmarket. He asserted um, in that race up the hill, he was ridden out to win quite comfortably. And in behind him that day, you had the likes of Brando with, with proven Group 1 form. So I think Oxford for Roger Teal, uh, Space Blues for Godolphin, and Hello Yumzane are three really lively contenders to oppose Skeptical with. The power of Wikipedia, Chris. Oxted is the first, was the first three-year-old since Compton Banker in 2000 to win the Portland. So you're spot on there with that stat. Um, one I do want to ask you about is we've mentioned this concept of group horses in handicaps. And um, last year's Stewards Cup winner, Cardam, very much looked like a group horse in a handicap. And when winning the Stewards Cup, he absolutely obliterated them. Uh, he was disappointed in Group 1 Company the next twice at Haydock and Ascot. Would you still give him a chance here, 
at the top level or do you, do you think he may just be found out in this sort of company? Like you said, the, the, the Stewards Cup, I mean, I'd, I'd backed him that day. It was a mightily impressive performance. Yeah. You've got to be prepared to, to put a line through, through those efforts since. He's probably a fair price at, what is double figure odds, is it? About um, 10, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's probably a fair price. And, you know, this, this race will cut up as well. Um, yeah, he's, he's got to bounce back to form, but it is hard to forget that, that Goodwood victory. About tens, um, fourteen to one with our partners Paddy Power. Apologies there. Um, now we're also going to talk about the St James Palace on the Saturday, and um, switch from the Tuesday, of course. And this is a really interesting renewal because we're going to have two who ran really well in the two thousand guineas in Pinatubo and Wichita. A lot was said about Pinatubo before the season. Is he on a redemption mission here? Well. The champion juvenile, uh, unbeaten in six, likened to Frankel. So clearly held in, in some regard by connections, so much so that he was sent off as the odds-on favourite for the 2000 Guineas, fully expected to win that day. Um, but he came third. Now, I, I don't think he lost much in defeat. You, you can't say he didn't stay because he hit the line quite strongly. Um, th there's plenty of stamina in his pedigree. I think it was an above average Guinness because I think Kamako is, is, you know, he was a group one winning juvenile himself. Um, I think he's going to go on to, to have a fantastic career, much in, in the same way that, that Roaring Lion did for the same connections. So I, I think it was a really good Guinness. Um, Pinatubo, I'm going to say it for a fourth time, it'd be no surprise to see him um, redeem himself. He was, you know, you look back to last season, he was a nine length winner of a group one in Ireland, the national stakes. He won the Dewhurst. He's, he's a top class prospect. I think critics will say, you know, has he, has he trained on? Has he, has he developed in the way that others have or have others caught him up? I don't think he lost too much in defeat at Newmarket and Wichita, who was in front of him, connections have, have said that he'll stay further. He was incredibly well backed in the Guinness um, and was a length ahead of Pinatubo. Now, what I think could happen is if these two get involved in a battle quite early, which is very likely, it could end up actually setting the race up for another. Um, but you, you've got Pinatubo and Wichita who are going to be at the head of the market, but you could see one of the others nip in and, and take the race late on. And the two that take my um, fancy are Palace Pier, who cost 600,000 guineas as a, year, as a yearling, the son of Kingman. Now, he was originally being aimed at the 2000 Guinness, but there was a minor setback and he was instead rerouted to, to Newcastle. Now, at Newcastle, he extended his unbeaten record to three. He was a wide margin winner twice last season. And although he took a while to pick up at Newcastle, once he, once he did hit top gear, he stormed clear to, to justify the, the fact that he was, he was potentially good enough to line up in the 2000 Guinness. So for Palace Pierce, it's, it's quite a big step up in class. But I think he, he's going to be running, running quite well. I think the, the other really interesting one against the top two in the market is Threat. Now, Threat's name came up earlier. Threat is another who's coming here instead of the 2000 Guinness, reportedly in order to avoid the undulations at Newmarket. And the, the slightly flatter track at Ascot is, is thought to really suit Threat. Now, Threat actually did a unique double last season winning the gym crack at York and the Champagne Stakes at Doncaster. Um, we're second in a Coventry, so it's yet another horse that's um, got form 
at the royal meeting and is incredibly well regarded by by Richard Hannon who's described this horse as a star and I think with Oshie Murphy likely to take the ride again on both threat I, I've, I've got a feeling threat could cause an upset against the, the big two. Yeah, uh, six to one threat with Paddy Power and Palace Pier as well. Interesting you mentioned him. He's four to one. Same connections as and a very similar profile as well as the 2018 winner without parole. Now, Chris, if my maths tells me correctly, we've spoken about 12 races. There are two more horses you want to speak about there before we go. Yeah, not in any particular depth, but I think it's worth mentioning the, the Learjet in the Norfolk Stakes on Friday, who broke the track record on debut at Yarmouth and subsequently bought by Sheikh Farhad and therefore will we'll line up for Qatar racing. Oshin Murphy will take the ride. Oshin's been very bullish about, about this horse. He's really looking forward to getting on board. So I think the Learjet will go really well in the Norfolk. And another I'd like to mention is, is Clyde in the Copper Horse Handicap, which is a new race over a mile and six. You and I were both hoping that Goshen would... Um, line up in this race but his official rating of 88 would have been nowhere near good enough to to get him into the race connections are going to have to look elsewhere for an ebor prep for for that really unlucky cheltenham faller but collide a son of frank or hugo palmer ryan moore was a listed winner in france and then he was very very well backed to win a handicap at chelmsford last time out he, he was impressive over the trip that day um, there were no issues with that one mile six so, yeah, the, the Learjet and Clyde were just two more that I, that I wanted to mention. Yeah, that is Clyde, not Klein, the two-mile hurdler, as I misheard off, off camera before we started recording. And Chris, uh, 36 races at the Royal Meeting this year. Um, you've talked, you've said a lot of times, I wouldn't be surprised if this would win, but what is your best bet at the meeting? I'm, I'm going to have to stick with Billersden Brook. There's just so much to like about her. Um, say, a classic winner. Um, can, can be any horse on a day. She's had that reappearance under a £7 penalty. She, the connections were very clear she would come on for that run. She's a dual group one winner. Um, she's in receipt of £3. Uh, I, I think Billersden Brook at the prices each way has got an outstanding chance um, in the Queen Anne. Um, I, I also like Liberty Beach and the King Stand for the reasons I've mentioned. And if it rains, I dare as well i think we'll we'll serve it up to japan 14 to 1 with paddy power bilston brook in the queen Anne stakes uh, thanks so much chris for joining us on this royal ascot special chris will be um giving his tips all week over on horseracing.net so do head over there every single morning to find out his fancies and special thank you once again as well to paddy power for sponsoring this podcast but chris thanks for joining me and hopefully chat to you soon thank you nick